Attention, attention, attention. Welcome to episode eight. Ocho, a Behind the Founder podcast. My name is Jonathan Margell, and the whole time that you've been listening to me over the last two months has been a sham. I'm not a founder. I'm a co-founder, and my better half is joining us this week on the podcast. I have been so inspired by the entrepreneurial spirit of the last few episodes, and you know what? It's time. Pablo had to get on the show. He is my business partner, my co-founder, and best boy. Let me tell you a few things about Pablo quick, quick. We've probably campied to over 250 sake bottles together. He's currently ripping up a pair of my LeBron 16 Low Atmos Safari Nikes, turning them into a card wallet for me. He's a Leatherman. We just came back from a free trip to Japan together this past October. We survived the typhoon. We met at a robotics competition. And he is the reason that I will be running a chicken egg operation in my backyard in roughly two weeks time. When we're talking about real estate and business and startups, who better to speak to than the guy that I'm running my business with? You want to hear something authentic? You're in store for it today. I have to apologize on Pablo's behalf. There's a little bit of a cracking fire because he's an outdoorsman sitting by the fire during the interview. Hear the little crackles of wood popping and locking. Don't worry about it. I've literally been planning this episode for two months. I thought he'd be on the first episode. He ended up on the eighth episode, but we'll take that. No stress. Anyways, it's going to be a long episode. Sit back, relax, pour up your favorite beverage, and let's get into it. So you already know what's coming up right now. He goes by the name of Captain Kaplan. Avi, take us into the interview, baby. Pablo Mangini. Welcome to Behind the Founder Podcast, episode eight. We did it. I finally convinced you. Uh, I I started uh, a note on my phone, Pablo Podcast Notes. It was created two months ago, so that's how long it took for this to happen. Before the first ever episode that I recorded, I was planning out today's conversation It's an honor, it's a blessing, it's a mitzvah um, to have you on the air. I know you hate this shit, but today you don't. And uh, it's not every day that that two founders and two best friends will interview each other. Usually there's someone else involved. It's uh, it's kind of a new thing. It's very random, but you know what? We're going to make it work. And I hope whoever is listening learns something, is interested, Hopefully laughs, but no pressure. So I've been talking a lot, and now I want to turn it to you. Some people know who you are. Some people may just know your name. Many people do not know who you are. Who is Pablo? 
Everyone thinks it's a cool last name, but aside from that, talk to us about who you are. So I was born in uh, Buenos Aires. I grew up in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And at around the age of 12, I moved to Montreal, studied electrical engineering, and then eventually started a business with uh, my foolish partner. All right, let's start simple. So you mentioned before electrical engineering. What type of classes did, did you elect to, to study at, at university? Where did you go to school? Why did you choose engineering? What was your first job? Talk to us a, a little bit about the, the intro, the younger years. Good question. I think like a lot of us, uh, we follow in our father's footsteps. My father was also an electrical engineer, so that always kind of made sense to me. I think that as I grew older, I just wanted to build things, make things. I just wanted to have whatever skill or tool set I needed to have in order to be able to build anything I could think of. And to me, that was electrical engineering. I went to Concordia University in Montreal, where uh, you also went. Go Stingers! Is that the soccer team or the football team? Both. (laughs) Maybe the Lady Stingers, actually, I'm not sure. School spirit, baby. Classes that I took. So pretty much all engineering is just a lot of math. And uh, math after a certain level starts to feel a lot like history. You just, there's a lot of memorization and the concepts start to become a little bit, let's call it distant. I majored in electronics. So that's components, circuit boards, like the stuff that's inside of a computer or a TV or, or, or a cell phone, how to make those things work. To me, that was like maybe the hardest thing you could think about making. So everything else kind of just could fit around that. So it made like natural sense to me to, to, to go into that. And what about professionally? How did you afford to buy the equipment to build robots and all the other crazy shit that you did for fun? Uh, what did you do as your first handful of jobs or gigs? I guess I was in high school. I started a robotics team. Ironically, we competed against each other in, in, in opposing high schools. Robot Wars, that's how we met. <laughs> yeah. I think you were on the uh, videography team. I was on the, uh, the robotics team. But, but, but nonetheless, I think we, we, we crossed paths early on. I think I was fortunate enough to have parents that always supported my, my curiosity that allowed me to play around with a lot of different kind of stuff. Professionally, I've always been involved in electronics. I think I started, you know, at uh, 15, uh, helping to, to do electronics and, and wiring of uh, overhead cranes and doing, a, you know, simple electrical panels. People are uh, delivering pizzas and newspapers and you're uh, wiring cranes at 15. Yeah, something like that. You're a crane wirer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And then I, as I got older, I had a few Concordia competitions under my belt, which I had done very well in. That uh, put me in touch with a few different companies, which I was lucky to be hired by a uh, biomedical company who essentially did like incubation chambers or pressurized chambers for either testing drugs or doing laboratory testing. And they wanted to digitize their, their, their analog machines. So that was like my first experience, you know, both in engineering a new solution for, for an existing product and also, you know, professionally designing circuit boards to allow for that. You mentioned hardware. Not a lot of people know this, but we started a real estate hardware company. That, that was the 
true, true origins. Yes, sir. My words are too nasally, so I'd rather hear your words of where it all got started off, and and then we'll get into the all the current stuff later on. Sure. So I think that when you're trying to start a business, that you know you do what you know, and uh, when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So you know when the two of us got together, we realized we wanted to do something in real estate. Um, and at the time, since my specialty or specialization was hardware, this was before it's before everything Google, Google Home and Siri and all that, all that home automation stuff. So we realized that there was room in the market for, you know, high end home automation, but for rental units, there really wasn't anything. Plus, like it's not your place, so you can't really mess around with it. So we realized that how cool would it be if you could rent an apartment that was fully like decked out, had everything uh, from lighting to heating to door control to, to, to motion sensors, party lights, you name it. How cool would it be to rent a unit like that? Didn't we put a button party mode or something on the panel that, that we installed? <laughs> yep. It's crazy. Um, and it's still there and no one knows how to disassemble it. <laughs> it's the oldest joke in Montreal. I wish that uh, I'm guessing a young couple uh, luck with that. I'm sure they wonder what on earth is in their unit. Do me a favor. The the piece de resistance of that house was this horse lock that was that was on the the main door. What kind of a lock was it? Let, let, let's back it up a little bit just to frame it. So when we started, we decided to completely rewire, automate Jonathan's apartment. So we ran something like 60 different door sensors. Uh, this was slightly pre-wireless days, so everything was wired in. We installed LED lighting, colored LED lighting. Water sensors. You name it. Uh, power control, thermostats. This is all very early days. And what about the door? And the door, we had the, a large magnetic. It was a force field. <laughs> it was the kind of thing you have at like a jewelry shop. <laughs> um, where they have to like buzz you in and you stand between the two doors. So we moved out and we moved into our current place and you know, that door closed and I'm pretty confident that it never opened again, or it took like a really good crowbar or someone went in and they're stuck. And when one door closes, another one does not open. Uh, this door, <laughs> this door is locked door. shut. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's the oldest joke in the city. Anyways, much more interesting than, than that. So we realized that this business model did not scale as cool as it was. It would, it would cost a fortune to wire every single apartment, despite how awesome this was. Um, so, you know, we pivoted to focusing on the software that made all these units talk together. So we always, you know, every time we would talk about something related to the system, we'd be like, oh, but how cool would it be if you can like, you know, press a button and let somebody in or message another unit or message your concierge or whatever it is. So instead of like standing uh, awkwardly in front of a screen in your wall, you're basically just using your phone, but you're doing the same thing. So correct me if I'm wrong. It was a two-part plan. First plan was mass install uh, physically connected hardware within apartments. You, you, someone moves out, you retrofit it, boom, you move on to the next one. And then, you know, the second part was going to be creating the software that an iPad like screen would be running. And a lot of the things that we provide tenants today 
with building stack was going to be done on the iPad, but you know what? Thankfully we scrapped that idea and we jumped right to the, to the software. <laughs> I mean, what a disaster Four months later, every company and their mom's company had wireless affordable retrofit in two seconds, software, hardware, like everything super seamless. Pretty good decision, I guess, eh? Yeah, I think in retrospect, we started where we thought there was a market and there really was. We just, you know, didn't have the lungs to compete at that level. Ultimately, I think we focused on the the, the, the highest value, which was the connectivity, the access to, to a centralized platform. So very curious about this answer. You decided to take a risk, stop whatever you were doing. You were doing lots of consulting, lots of special projects. And you join me on this journey. Why? I think like anything in life, it's not just like one thing. I think a big part of it was the right timing. I'd finished school. I started working very early, so I was ready for something else. I think we had all of the right ingredients for, 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 for success. You knew the industry very, very well. You were also kind of fed up of, of, of you know, the kind of work that you were doing and you, you know, you realized that there needed to be something different or better. I thought that I could be solving more interesting problems that were a little bit more closer to B2C than the very B2B world that I was in. And I think there was just like, I don't know, a je ne sais quoi, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit, which I always wanted to, you know, scratch that itch. And I don't know, I think everything lined up and, and, and you know, I think maybe the hardest part is finding the right partner when you start a business. Um, and everything just, I think, made sense. So I think now's a good time for the listeners to hear, in your words, what Building Stack does. In episode one, I spoke about it briefly in my words. I, I, I would love and everyone would love to hear the Pablo Mangini Building Stack elevator pitch, quick, quick. You know, what, what company did we start? What do we do? Ultimately, we are trying to build like the next generation of property management software. What does that mean? That means that we specifically want to focus on anything that touches on the tenant life cycle from someone looking for an apartment, from someone applying to rent an apartment, from someone moving in to, to paying the rent, complaining that they're, 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 the toilet is broken to eventually looking for a new place. We want to make being able to handle that experience as easy as possible. So there's no reason for a property manager to do these repetitive tasks over and over and over, to be an expert in, in many different fields, right? When you used to be a landlord, maybe 20 years ago, you just put up a sign, you walked around and you collected checks. Today, you have to be a marketing expert. People write reviews, people, you know, comparison shop. You need to know how to price your unit correctly. You need to be able to, to showcase that unit both digitally and in person. You need to be able to make sure that that tenant has a way of communicating with you. You need to be able to handle a mixed portfolio from both residential, commercial, condo, uh, and everything else in between. You need to be able to handle online rent payments. There's so many areas of expertise that you need to be, and margins being as you know relatively low as they are, you can't just keep infinitely hiring employees. So you really do need a system that acts as that, you know, that other employee, if you will, or that overseeing employee to make 
uh, handling uh, that tenant interaction, the tenant lifecycle manageable. You know what? We're going to switch roles. You're going to run sales and I'm going to run product. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. I feel, I, I feel like the, uh, the, 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 the product would overnight become very colorful. Phil, if you're listening, you're reporting to me tomorrow, but <laughs> imagine every, every button would have a new color. <laughs> every button would have Miami Dolphins colors. <laughs> All right. So you and I started a property management software company, A, why software? You literally have zero background in, in software, computer, software development, and B, what about real estate piqued your interest? So in electronics specifically, there was a big shift, I don't know, let's say in the 90s between analog and digital. And an electrical engineer who was developing analog systems, um, there wasn't much software. You just, you designed what you want to design. And in my opinion, analog is much tougher than digital. Anyone can, <laughs> anyone can count to one, but over time, you know, microprocessors, wireless systems, et cetera, required you to program um, even at a lower level, right? Like even your router has a ton of software in there, even if you can't see what it does. So if you want to do anything cool with anything electronic, you needed to learn how to program. So I did learn how to program from assembly to, to, to C++ and other custom uh, languages. So software did make sense to me. Um, it's just now, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot more layers of abstraction. I mean, you're, you're literally co-managing the entire development team. Could you, could you code right now at this point? You've been managing an entire team for years. Short answer is no, I'm not a developer, but I know how to manage developers. <laughs> I know how they speak. I've learned their language. <laughs> but if you're looking at a monitor, do you actually understand what's going on, but you just can't do it yourself is, is what you're suggesting? I, 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 I can definitely understand what's going on. Maybe not every little nook and cranny, but I think at the end of the day, um, it really just comes down to, to, to logic. So if I can explain what it is that I want to achieve from a logical point of view, and I can, I can explain that what the relationship entities between whatever it is that I want to make is, then, then, you know, anyone could really manage a development team. You just have to learn that language. Very interesting. So we've been at it for 11 years. At what point did you realize, shit, we are onto something? I don't think it was just one moment, but maybe a collection of moments. I think that as an entrepreneur, you're always dealing with fires or what's not working or complaints or what people wish you did better or did more. And, and, and you know, you're always fielding those those no's, if you will. But I think that whenever, you know, you take a step back and you look at trends you know, when, you know, in the beginning we, you know, had, you know, a few people paying their rent online. And then now, you know, we have thousands of people paying their rent online. I think when you take a step back and you look at those trends, that, that, that really makes you realize, okay, there, there, there's clearly a demand for this and, and we're really solving a need. I think when we highlight the, the, the inefficiencies or overstaffing in certain companies and, you know, they can manage more properties with, with, with less employees or maybe focus their, 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 their hiring dollars on, on experienced employees, um, do you really start to realize that, that you're helping in more ways than one? 
I think that in the aggregate, when you take a step back and you really look, um, you really realize that that this space really, really needs um, a lot of these tools. Whether you know, in full transparency, there's many ways to 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 manage properties, but the way we have provided a solution, I think a lot of people are responding to like very well. And you know what? The other day we're on the phone and I had a little bit of an epiphany and I realized, I was like, you know what? Not only do we have the best solution in in the whole country, super easy to use, user-centric, very feature-rich, you know, I realized we're also legitimately consultants and, and let's say lower level administrators for, for several hundred companies across the country. Like we're, we're literally a lot of people's back office and it's crazy and it's, and it's fun and we do it and we, we scaled it and we automated it and and it's really a pleasure. And it's, it's a proud thing for us to be helping so many different people. I mean, we, we, we have, we have no ownership or, or anything and, in, in any of these properties and, and, you know, yet we care and we want our clients to do well and, and we want their operations to run smoothly and we give them advice literally. It's crazy. And, and it's, and it's included. Yeah. I think, I think that I would give that as like a, you know, general entrepreneurial advice to anyone who's, who's starting a company that, you know, there might be bigger players in the market um, and it might be tougher to compete, but, where you really can, you know, differentiate yourself is in service, right? I think that you may not have the lowest prices, you may not have the best product, you may not have a lot of stuff, but it's going to be very hard for a big company to compete with you on the service side. So if you can start to build an efficient process around service and, and, and the, the, the quality of service that you provide your, your clients, whether that's you know advice on 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 how to manage certain scenarios or or, or just being available or you know going above and beyond um, to make sure that you know X Y Z gets done, um, clients remember that and they appreciate that and and they really will be um, you know your your early adopters your early promoters um, and that really goes a far far way. We love all our early adopters and early promoters, and we know exactly who they are, and we love them all very much. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we learn the most from them. They 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 are the most uh, forgiving uh, if we make certain changes that they don't like, or we're, we're lacking certain features because they see that we're actively trying to adapt and 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 and, and learn the way that they, they they do their business. So. I think that was a huge key learning for us. And that's the kind of thing that that's always going to be ingrained in our DNA to provide excellent service. And I, while, you know, it was a necessity in the beginning, I think now it's become part of the way that we do our business. Very important question. How am I still alive? How did you not kill me? How did you, how, how do you handle such a tall Yenta on a daily basis? Who also happens to be lactose intolerant? Yeah, well, I think we both know that I uh, <laughs> I try to kill you a few times accidentally and sometimes accidentally on purpose. I really wasn't going to talk about it. You mentioned it. I'm going to be the briefest I've ever been with this story. If you want to hear this story incomplete, call me. Uh, you treated me like a science experiment. You poisoned me with lactose. 
you documented it, you confirmed it a uh, second time, multiple times. You took notes in your little pocketbook. You're 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 a, an evil, mad scientist. But I mean, that goes back to the question: How do you handle me? We're very, very different personalities. We have a lot of of overlap. It's it's like the the middle of the Venn diagram. You love when I give that example, and it could be uh, it could be a hassle. Uh, my mom knows. My dad knows. My whole family knows. I'm a handful. Um, yes. <laughs> I think there's two parts, right? As a friend, we're best friends. Uh, we, we, we always are making each other laugh. I think we're always uh, encouraging the other one when the other one is, is down and vice versa. And we feed off of each other's energy. I think that in that sense, you know, like things could not be better. I think that in terms of, you know, the way that we think and the way that we operate, we're very complementary. So... You could, you know, sit down in a meeting and then talk and talk and talk and, and talk about sports and, and, and all kinds of stuff. And I just want to get down to business and, and, and showcase the product. And, and, you know, you're often a reminder where business is done, like in between uh, meetings or, 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 you know, really showcasing who you are as a person and a character. And I think that that's something that both, you know, our fathers have always uh, showcased and, and, and something that... I think you've maybe grasped a little bit easier than I have. Whereas, you know, on the other end, I'm maybe the more analytical, more of an engineer type minded person. And I think that in the overlap that we have, I think those are our core common values and, and, and our vision for the company, our vision for, for, for how people should be treated with respect and, and, and equality. And, and, you know, and then the other side where we don't overlap, I think that's what we bring to the table, right? I think that you're a natural salesman, you know how to run a business, you know the industry. Um, and I am more on the product side. I, I try to find the simplest solution to, to, to a problem and try to analyze it from like a human behavior perspective to, to, to see how people would interact with that product. So as much as we're very different and you know, sometimes, uh, yeah, <laughs> I may want to kill you and I'm sure you want to kill me. Um, it's in that difference that makes us I think a very, very successful partnership. Thank you for, for saying all those things. Very, very cool to listen to, you know, it's not, uh, we, we, we speak, uh, four hours a day, every day forever, but we never speak about that. So it's interesting to, to run it back to, to the beginning of, of the company and, and, you know, connect on that level. So that's, that's cool. Thanks for answering that. Um, I'm curious what your top three fondest memories from co-founding the company, um, just day-to-day things, top three things that just come to the, the top of your mind quick, quick. Okay. In no particular order, I don't know why, but this memory came up. I think in the early days when uh, it was just the two of us and in order to encourage like... Um, tenant usage we would go door to door with custom hand printed laminated pamphlets to each tenant hold on hold on we bought a folding machine <laughs> we bought a used folding machine from 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 uh, i believe a church um <laughs> and we would fold every single pamphlet after sticking a bilingual sticker on each side of that pamphlet 
um, with each tenant's name because we believe that if they saw their name on a piece of paper and um, their unit that they would be like, okay, this is legitimate. I will sign up. God bless us, man. We would slide each one under um, the door and then we'd knock on the door. and Dude, we would sprint down <laughs> emergency staircases and yo, you go to the left side of the eighth floor. I'm going to go on the right side of the eighth floor and we'd have ah, first sees, you know, like uh, one of us. Eh, and then you're just like, man, shut up. Take these. Just go, go do these ones down there. I'll meet you on the third floor. Like insane. In so I'll, I'll say two things about that. One, the memory real quick was we knocked on somebody's door and I believe the guy answered the door and he goes, what is this? <laughs> And we're like, no, 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 it's just a service. And, you know, we're, we're, we're here to help you communicate with your landlord. And he goes, how much does it cost? And we're like, no, it's free. And he goes, what do you mean it's free? What's the, what's the angle here? And then we go, no, no, it's a free. The landlord's paying for the service so that you can communicate with them better. And then long pause. And he goes, and you make money from this? <laughs> <laughs> remember yeah so that was good they were they were very skeptical that landlords would want to actually hear what uh, a tenant's complaint was but That's... i will say that from running around in all these buildings it really made you understand the needs of tenants the needs of landlords and how buildings actually work i would not trade that experience for almost anything yeah you know what everyone every entrepreneur has that story you know, when they rolled up their sleeves and they got down and dirty and they did this and that and then, and it's like, th this is our version of that, but never again. I think we transitioned from that, us doing it for prob, how many units would you say we did that for personally? Like a thousand together, at least. Then we hired Craigslist when we got our first 500 unit double tower. Yeah. That was interesting. Then we just said, you know what? Let's just mail it one time to the company, let them figure it out. And you know what? It scaled, nothing changed, but our calves are a little bit less fit. <laughs> yeah, I think in the beginning, you do things that don't scale so that you can do things at scale. So, you know, we needed to go through that exercise to understand what would stick and what would not stick. What's the single hardest aspect of being a co-founder and running a business? The hardest part about being a co-founder running a business, without a doubt, is building your team. And anyone who tells you otherwise is, uh, is wrong. I 100% feel you. Not only are you training those employees, not only are you trying to build a semblance of culture, not only... Are you essentially creating a new product and process around it? You're also trying to find the right candidate and you're trying to get them to see your vision and you're trying to align all the incentives of very, very, very different people, the, 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 your, your developers uh, in any business, whether developers, if it's, if it's your support staff, if it's your, your, your sales team, finance, whatever it may be, you're trying to get them all to align and row in the same direction. And doing that as someone, A, who hasn't done it before, or B, doing it in a new space and limited resources is the hardest thing you could possibly do, right? You think early on, hey, if I just build a better mousetrap, 
I'm going to have a crazy business. But it, ideas are cheap um, and it's all about execution and trying to find the right people, trying to train those people, motivate those people, align incentives, the compensation, you name it. It's, it's easily the hardest part. Um, you are bang on. That's literally my answer every single time that topic comes up for me. Next question. We've been working remote for close to four months now. What are your biggest takeaways? I think overall it's not as bad as I thought it would be. I've read a few different uh, books on the subject and a lot of people talk about remote work. Like it's this holy grail of like, it solves all your problems. And like once a year, everyone gets together uh, in San Francisco or Colorado and then they, they have a big party um, for, for, for Christmas. And then everyone goes back and has a hundred percent efficiency. I think that the reality of the matter is that most people um, are not either disciplined enough or used to it or have the environment that's conducive to that kind of work, right? We, we've built a society where we do have offices. People are used to commuting every single day, um, have their, 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 their cubicle or their desk or, or their, their, their office, um, and they do their work and then they go home and there's a mental shift between being at work and being at home. And now all of a sudden we're forced to, you know, thrust upon every single team member this idea of like, no, 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 you need to be self-disciplined. You need to be very organized. You need to be able to execute on your own. It's a big, big shift. And you take away all the social interaction, right? Like how you spend your day is how you spend your life. And people are going from spending, you know, their, their, their days essentially with colleagues and coworkers to Zoom calls, Slack calls. And those are, you know, maybe not few and far in between, but it's not the same thing. It's not a replacement. So there is, you know, I, I, I think I would categorize what, what I've seen from, from our team. You know, there's one half that's like very happy to be left alone and like, let's just talk business. And then the other half that's like starving for, for, for social interaction. From my perspective, I feel like it wasn't as big of a disaster as, as I thought it could have been because, you know, all of our tools are in the cloud and we were already set up for it. And like from a tech point of view, we're ready. Um, I didn't think that mentally or, 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 or psychologically the, the, the entire team was ready for that shift. But I've been very pleasantly surprised. Um, and I think that a lot of companies going through this are going to give a very hard look at, you know, those huge red bills that they've been paying in the past and go, you know what, like, I don't think we need an office or, you know what, we only need maybe half the size of this office. Let the people who want to work remote, work remote. I do wonder what will happen when you have that duality of like half the team is remote and half the team is in the office or, or some sort of half measure like that. I feel like there could be other issues there, but overall, I think that I'm very proud of the team for being able to, 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 to you know, not skip a beat um, and if anything, increase efficiency. And on the other hand, that maybe this really is the, the, the beginning of a huge cult cultural work shift. I think it is. I think it is. And, and you're bang on with all those comments. Big changes are, are coming. I mean... This conversation we've had many times, the, the whole world is changing and there's going to be so many fundamental adjustments. It's, it's, it's wild. But you know what? You and I, 
we've always been good at and we always will be good at. It's pivoting, adjusting, seeing, observing what's going on, discussing it quickly. One of us convinces the other one. We choose a we choose a direction. Boom, we move forward. We don't look back. Finished. And then we just do it again and again and again. And we're professional adjusters. That is definitely a quality that that will serve us well in today's day and age. I mean, that's running a company in a nutshell. Yeah, don't do it. (laughs) 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 All right. So how do we get along so well considering you don't like hip hop? You don't like country music? You don't like American football? You don't like any sport, really. Maybe Argentina football, Boca Juniors, uh, Newell's Old Boys. You don't like going to the barber shop, and you hate Apple. How do we get along so well? To set the record straight, I don't hate Apple. I just prefer PCs. I think, yeah, maybe like the equivalent of the person that only goes to church on uh, Easter <laughs> with respect to sports. I think that if there's like a big event or maybe like a nationally bonding event like the olympics or 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 the world cup um i'll watch but short of that i'm less interested (laughs) um i think we get along because i'm curious and you're curious so i'm not that into sports but the way you talk about it makes me very curious and interested and i kind of get into it because of you and vice versa i think you've gotten into other things because i kind of showed you the other side of it so like anything else in life i think that when you have uh, someone to guide you into that hobby or interest, uh, you, 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 you gain an appreciation for it. I mean, you've personally taught me recently a lot of uh, Negroni barreling and chapstick making and leather work and various renovations around the house. You're, uh, you have quite a little notepad of, uh, of hobbies over there, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, I'm a serial hobbyist. Um, I get bored easily, but at the same time, I, I really like to dive in into everything and learn every element of, of, of what I do. So yeah, I've, uh, I've collected quite a few notches on my hobby belt. <laughs> All right. I'm actually very curious what you're going to say here so that I could literally do everything you say. What are you doing right now to stay Corona free? I think number one is stay educated, stay, stay, stay informed. I think that there's a lot of information being pushed out that some of it is nonsense, but a lot of it is good stuff. And just keeping on that is, is a full-time job, but, but it's critical, you know, post that from a practical point of view, I think, again, I feel like some people are going to disagree with some of these stuff, but screw them. (laughs) <laughs> they're wrong so i don't really care um <laughs> they they it, it comes down to, to to a few very simple practical things wear a mask keep your distance um i think that you know everyone's talking about vaccines everyone's talking that's great it's looking like it'll be around this time next year um where there will be one assuming like uh this time go. next year? Yeah. Whoa, man. Um, assuming clinical trials go well. So at the end of the day, it, it really comes down to, to trying to stay healthy. And I think there's been a drastic underestimation 
of, of, of just being healthy, eating healthy, exercising, et cetera, and really keeping your immune system in tip top shape. That alone, and again, yeah, vitamin C, zinc, uh, vitamin D, um, all those things can obviously help, but stay informed, don't do things that are silly, that can put you or your family at risk, and you know, try to limit exposure to anyone who's a higher uh, risk demographic. Kind of wait it out. There's not too, too much else you can do um, other than those things. So last question before the brief musical break, you were supposed to get back to me today with three of the sicker items that we could customize with our company logo on merchology.com. Did you make any decisions or what, man? You didn't send me any links today. Three quick things, top of mind. You went to the website, you looked around. We're not buying, It's this is a short print. This is for you, for me, for Jose Luis, for Simon, and an extra one for me because I'm fat and I'm fluctuating in waist size. What are, come on, what are we buying tomorrow? Spend money. <laughs> Spend money. Off the top of my head, ankle weights. Um. <laughs> I dare you to buy building stock ankle weights. I'm wearing those puppies around Sherbrooke West. Uh, trotting around Victoria Village up and down the crosswalks. Don't you dare go uh, <laughs> Sherbrooke East. Um, <laughs> ankle weights, there was a nice duffel bag. Um, I also saw a, a camera case. <laughs> camera case? We're going to get little camera bags? Some... <laughs> That's the best you could do? The, the, well, there's a lot well, of stuff there's a there. lot of camera bag options. There's a, there's a couple fanny packs that I actually thought that were pretty cool. Um, We're getting fanny packs for real. I'm holding you to this, man. I'm holding you. I'm buying. Just to summarize, <laughs> wristbands, ankle weights, duffel bags, carry-on bags, and uh, guess fanny which packs. ones were the real answers and which ones were the joke answers. No one can tell because you're very convincing. <laughs> yeah, only about half of those I actually wanted. <laughs> um, and those pens that when you turn upside down, you can see our logo. <laughs> and the pen that's me with my t-shirt, <laughs> my t-shirt slowly going up when you turn it upside down, eh? With the beer yeah. belly and the dad bod. Anyways, we're going to get right back to it, Pablo and Jonathan. But for two seconds, this is going to be a long little podcast. So Captain Kaplan, give us something nice to just mix it up with for two seconds. Let's go. Welcome back to Behind the Founder Podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Margell, and we are joined with Pablo Mangini, my business partner, my best friend, my surrogate brother, someone very, very important in my life. I speak to him every day, many hours a day. This guy's my brother. And for the last hour, we've been breaking down the business that we started and discussing different moments in history throughout the journey. 
And we're gonna we're gonna mix things up for the for the last few minutes. We're gonna have fun towards the end. So right now, Pablo, we're at episode eight, and you've been helping me behind the scenes. You are behind, behind, behind the founder. I don't know what that means. I hope it added up. Um, also today, <laughs> <laughs> also today, I revealed to the world that behind the founder is actually a sham. The, the show, the podcast should be renamed Behind the Co-Founder. That's more of a, a reality. Regardless, you've been helping me with content, with questions. I've been running a lot of the episodes by you before I record them, before I release them. You gave me a few questions. I genuinely want to know what your answers are and what you think. So without further ado... Have you noticed any new trends in the real estate space due to COVID? So I catfished myself. Yes, I think there's a couple of new trends. One, anything that you can do remotely is going to get done remotely. So tenants don't want to talk to you. They don't want to see you. They don't want to hand you a check. They don't want to communicate you in, communicate with you in person. They don't want to collect a key. They don't want to anything. So that goes for your tenants, but even more importantly, that goes for your employees, right? Your employees need to be safe. You need to provide a safe work environment, et cetera. So I think that anything that can be done remotely is going to be done remotely. What do you wish that we had prepared as business owners for COVID? If you had a magic lamp, you knew this shit was coming. What would you have done to, to prepare yourself, myself, the business, the team? stockpiling of uh, toilet paper and masks. <laughs> <laughs> I think on a more serious note, I think that maybe we would have focused a little bit more on remote style tools and, and developing and mentoring some of our team leads to be able to work remotely. I think that you take for granted when you see people and you, hey, do this, do that. Hey, don't forget about that. You know, you do a lot of that stuff in person. You forget about how much cognitive effort goes into remembering those things. And like, you just sort of, you know, put that on other people's shoulders. I think that developing the type of mentorship and managerial skills to be able to handle the team remotely is a skill set that will serve you very well in these times. Predict what you think will happen six months out, one year out. Are things going to go back to normal or are they changed forever? I think eventually things will go back to normal. But I do think that anyone who sort of was around or, or working during this time is going to have this in the back of their minds for a while. So I do think things will go back to normal. Um, you know, whether or not the, the, the economy takes a hit whether or not, you know, COVID's around for like a long time, whether the vaccine, whatever it may be, um, eventually things will go back to normal. They're starting to go back to normal now. Um, even if there's a spike or whatever, eventually I do believe things go back to normal. Um, but I think that it's important for us to take lessons from this. I think being prepared, understanding that, you know, the supply chains are, 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 are very delicate. Being able to manufacture things nationally is important. 
um, being able to manage your team rem- uh, remotely, uh, all these things I think are, 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 are lessons that would be an absolute shame um, if, if, you know, both companies and individuals didn't remember and, and learn from moving forward. Even if things may seem like uh, unlikely, it doesn't mean that they're not possible. Is there anything that you wish the average tenant knew about being a landlord or a property manager? Um, I said this, I used your line a couple weeks ago, but the name means Lord of the land, the landlord, watch it, I'm going to come get you. Um, you know, what, what do tenants need to understand that they're maybe not seeing or thinking about in your opinion? I think that, you know, having dealt with many property managers, having learned their struggles, et cetera, I think that tenants need to realize like no one is trying to, to, to trick you. No one is, 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 is generally like a, a slumlord, at least not our clients, um, who, 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 who want to provide a service to their tenants to, to, to be able to communicate. I think that, Oftentimes, there may be, just like any other business, struggles in process or, or inefficiencies. But overall, I think that if, if, if tenants kind of took a step back and realized that, you know, it's in the landlord's best interest for, for, for tenants to be happy, for, for you know, the, to collect rent on time, etc. Even if it's for selfish motives, you know, they ultimately want the tenant to be happy. It's not like, aha, once I got you as a tenant, I got you and that's it. Ultimately, um, it is their home. Landlords do take a lot of pride in the service that they, 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 they provide and in the building that they're running. And, and while you may have had um, bad experiences here and there or, or, or more likely bad experience with specific employees, um, overall, landlords and, you know, COs or, or, or people running those, those, those organizations do really care. They really, really do. So we're nearing the end of the podcast. And obviously, there's a lot of synergy between our voices. It's, it's, it's fascinating that we could mix things up, shift our tones, you know, and bang out a podcast like this. It's, it's probably not been done frequently. It's a unique recipe of audio and, and conversation between two brothers to talk to each other like this. I'm, I'm really enjoying every minute. It's, it's, you know, over an hour in, but you know what? It should be over an hour in. It should be a while because we have a lot to talk about. It's probably the only crack we're going to get at doing this. So we may as well see it through and then it's going to be a very nice souvenir, a nice memory, a nice charm for for our families and our children and for many, many years to come. And, and I'm so happy that we did this. I, I, and, and, and when we really break it down, we're the owners of a company that has, has provided a backbone to so many different operations and employees and, and companies and tenants across the country. No one has better insight. It sounds stupid, but it's true. And we're, there, there's so much data and information and, and we have our finger on the pulse and we have our ear to the ground. And it's such an exciting way to spend your life, to spend your day to day, like wake up, 
we're helping the country manage real estate. That's insane. And it's so much fun. And I'm so happy and appreciative that, that we get along so well and we've withstanded all of the different challenges and hurdles that, that, that have been presented in, in front of our path. And, and we've, we've overcome it together. And, you know, the biggest reason we get along in, in my words or my opinion is, is one of us always ends up convincing the other one of a direction. We agree on the direction. We move forward. We don't look back. And that's the reason I think the business is successful. That's the reason I think our friendship and our partnership is, is successful. And, and it's really such a blessing. And, and thank you so much. But before we go, we need to have a little bit of fun for one second. What have you been sipping on this evening? <laughs> I've been having some red wine. <laughs> from where? Ironically, from Argentina. Oh, ironically. <laughs> oh, the country that I was born in. From the region that we have a cottage in. From a vineyard from my nonna. <laughs> Not quite. But, but yeah. Um, it's a red wine from, from Argentina. It's a Malbec. Nothing fancy. Um, trapiche or trapiche or one of those uh, pronunciations. Yeah. Highly recommend. Very smooth. Very nice. So the question was just a big sham. It was a big setup. Yeah. I'm also, I'm also another co-founder at a winery in Argentina. Yeah. And, uh, and we're just going live in the SAQ. Hit me up for uh, box discounts. <laughs> Anyways, you didn't ask. It doesn't matter. I'm drinking sake. I'm drinking sake that we bought together in Japan. We went to Japan together. We won a free trip from Antonio Park from the raffle, the Air Canada raffle. Uh, we went there with Antonio and Corey Shapiro for a week. We survived a typhoon. We, uh, we shared a room in a bawling ass hotel together. That was pretty much the last significant trip that we each individually had before the world changed for a little bit. Let's talk about Japan for two seconds. You know what? Can I begin and then you give your perspective? Please. On the sake story from the corner store that I bought the bottle that I've been pressing to my lips tonight. Can I preface this with uh, why is Japan the greatest country ever? <laughs> Honestly, everything that someone in Japan does, it's to the max. It's the best. It's to the finest detail. You're eating... You're, you're folding a, a towel, you're cutting a pastry, making a coffee, whatever the hell you do when you live in Japan, you're from Japan and you're, you're traveling there, you're, you're purchasing things there, you're getting the best. They don't play around. The Japanese are perfectionists. So am I sometimes. And I appreciate that shit. I mean, when we went there and we just did anything, I was always floored. And, and you're lucky. You've been there many times. Your sister lives there. You have family there. What a country. Anyways, back to the sake store in Japan. You and I were the sake boys. 
You know what I mean? Like it's been, uh, we've, we've grown up together. There's a barbecue. You're there. I'm there. We're bringing sake. The rule is always two or three. You bring one or two for the party and you bring one for us to solo sesh. And that's what we do. That's, that's literally what we do. So like a little bottle for a uh, Von filtered for, for the boys. And then like some of the schmutz for, for everyone else. We don't care. And, and we stumbled upon quite the sake corner store. I mean, how many bottles do you think this, this store had this depender in, in Tokyo? Hundreds? Hundreds of, of novelty uh, sakes. I, I mean, we walked in and, 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 and I've never seen uh, fridges just for one thing. Like we've seen beer fridges, we've seen water things, we've seen things for, for Powerade, Gatorade. But I mean, there, there was many, many, many refrigerated areas with sakis, with with two liter bottles, with one liter bottles, there was a, a, a revolving ladder uh, to a staircase with, with crates with sake. There is room temperature sake. I, I mean, the, the first thing I remember is, is there was no unfiltered sake. Hey, um, where's the unfiltered sake section? We don't serve poor people sake here. Sorry. <laughs> it's the, the schmutz. It's the shit for them, eh? There's a depender on the, there's a gas yeah, station. Uh... Fill up your gas with unfiltered sake. Get out of here. We don't sell that. And, and then I remember the second, the second biggest memory is, is the unpasteurized sake. A, I didn't know it existed. You did. You're like, John, man, John, man. We got to get the unpasteurized. We bring it back. We put it on ice. We drink it now because it's like milk, right? Like it, it goes yeah. bad. Yeah. Like how long? Don't quote me on this, but I would think about like uh, two, three weeks. So you buy the unpasteurized sake and you're on the clock. Yeah. It's like, a, I believe a living like yeast, like uh, yogurt or milk uh, or cheese. So you know what? I've said this story many, many times. I'd love to hear you say it once. The treasure map that we got, tell the people the story. What happened super quick, and then we're going to go to the next topic. Yeah, so long story short, we walk in. We don't really know what we want or, or, or what district we want our sake from or the distillery. Uh, let's face it, <laughs> we like sake, but we don't know that that much about it. We walk in. We ask for a couple of recommendations. We, we, we put everything at the, the, the table and it was a little too heavy, I think, for us to carry. So we come back the next day and not only is each individual bottle perfectly wrapped and ready to go, the, the, the owner had put together a custom-made Photoshop map <laughs> pinpointing each distillery for each bottle that he pointed out for us and a, an explanation of how to consume it, what the tasting notes were, the amount of care and attention that went into this uh, was nothing like we've ever seen. The level of service and attention to care was was spectacular. So you know what? Just to keep things extra frisky, I'm going to read from the list and quote the bottle that I've been drinking this evening. Give me a second. Kuoro, Daiginjo. This brewer became famous for its yeast, Kuoro yeast, which produces rich flavor, very pure, and clear touch at throat, serve chilled. <laughs> so we literally got this list. It's a real thing. 
I was reading from it right now. We brought back a lot of sake. There's still a handful of bottles left. And I cannot wait to go back with you and hopefully our families. But if not, at worst, you. <laughs> and, and, and just, I need to go back to Tokyo. We had so much fun there. It's 100% my favorite city, my favorite country, my favorite food. Japan, man. It's the best. Like, if you haven't been and, and, and you're lucky to, to, to be able to afford it, I highly recommend it. Every single cuisine in the world, the very best version of that cuisine is made in Japan. <laughs> and I know you're thinking, oh, no, 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 that's great. No, no, it is made in Japan. Best pasta, best pizza, <laughs> whatever you can think of. Uh, from sushi to pasta to, 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 to steak, vegetarian meal, you name it. It's produced in Japan. Do you remember when we're on a mission and it was raining? And I said, I want to buy some Japanese denim. I want to look cute in Montreal. Let's find a pair of pants. How many pairs of pants did I fit into in Japan? <laughs> so in Japan, I believe the sizes, uh, the equivalent would be like a uh, toddler small all the way to slim teenager um, <laughs> in American sizes. So You're for sure right, by the way. Yeah. They laughed. The guy, the guy laughed at me. <laughs> hey, uh, do you have this bigger? No, 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 no. Well, man, I can't even get the zipper up. Sorry, sorry, fat boy. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? Another memory. Let's talk about the hands guy, the the hands sushi guy, the the sushi fish man, the the, the man with the historic fish. W what do you remember about this guy? with his stupid pose in 3,000 restaurants across the country. <laughs> What's your takeaway with this putz? The man is a legend. He's the McDonald's of sushi of Japan. Um, but he kills it. He's the best. Each year they do a, um, a marketing, say, stunt, uh, for lack of a better word, where they purchase, like, the first tuna or the first big tuna of the season. And, and you know, each year... I think the price keeps going up and up and up and up as a, a sign of whatever. Um, I think the last time it was like around $3 million US for a big tuna. So, yeah. But that being said, the prices are very reasonable and the fish is the highest quality of the entire world. You cannot, you essentially are going into like a Denny's or a diner. Um, and yet the grade of sushi or fish easily surpasses the you know, three Michelin star <laughs> anywhere else in the world. It's true, by the way. I have videos and, and you could taste the fish through the video. That's, that's the quality of Japan, man. My God. So one last question before we wrap it up. When we went to Japan on this amazing, luxurious sponsored by Antonio Park, sponsored by Air Canada, frequented by Corey Shapiro. How did our wives allow us to go during a typhoon, man? There was literally a typhoon. We're watching the news. 
And my Jewish parents, they're listening and they're going, son, I don't know if you should be going to Japan right now. There's a typhoon headed directly into the middle of Tokyo a minute after you land. I don't want you to go. Mom, dad, it's free. We have to go. It's baller. I'm going with Pablo. Corey's going. Antonio's going. We have to go. We have to go. Daniela's supposed to get birth soon. This is the last trip. How the hell did we get away with it? This, honestly, the fact that we went <laughs> is a story. It is. And I'm curious what your take is. I think you're surrounded by uh, <laughs> very loving individuals <laughs> who, who care more about you than themselves. So they let you go. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Overall, it's a first world country. So as much as the typhoon is there, it's it's uh, it's still relatively safe. But ultimately, I think we bamboozled the whole gang. We bamboozled them. We landed and then we 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 got to the room. We got settled and we turn on the TV and we're like, fuck, the hotel shaking. There's a typhoon outside. There's a tropical storm and we're here and no one else is here. Pretty much. We're typhoon survivors. <laughs> I'm glad we got those tattoos. They'll age very well. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, the funniest part, and actually the best part, and it really set the tone for the trip, was we landed and, and we're so tired. And we went to bed and we slept through the typhoon. It never happened. It's a big <laughs> joke. There was no typhoon. There was no survival. We, we, we got in a cab. We went to the hotel. We bought liquor. We drank the liquor. We ate seven-star cuisine in our hotel lobby bar and drank all the sake that they had until they would serve it to us. We went to bed. We woke up. And the typhoon was over. And we had a week of fun. So the joke's on the typhoon, not on the boys. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. The the we we definitely slept through the typhoon. Let's put it that way. It was more like a a, a very mildly aggressive rain. It was like uh like a schmaltzy tropical rainstorm. It was crap. It was nothing. My pillow barely shook. A mishka bibble of raindrops. It was just a mishka bibble of raindrops. And on that note, Uncle Pablo, my brother. We've, we've completed episode eight of the podcast. What a podcast this will be. I can't wait to listen to it. I can't wait to edit it, to have it produced, to listen to it back, to have you listen to it back, to you give the green light, to me give the green light, to the wives giving the green light. It's a process, but you know what? They're going to say yes, and the people will hear the podcast, and I'm so so happy that they will. And I love you very, very much. There's not a lot of people that, that, that I would say that to in the world. You're one of them. You're my brother. My life would not be the same if, if we did not both stop whatever we're doing and build this company and, and go through all the shit and all the challenges and, and, and all the ups and a lot of them that are happening right now together 
And, and I appreciate this experience. I appreciate this memory. I appreciate you. And, and just, just thank you so much for everything. Episode eight, it's a wrap. If you have anything last, uh, last remarks to say, shoot it out right now. And then I'll call you for a little glass of Fernet on the rocks in a minute. <laughs> More Fernet than rocks. Um, yeah, I think I, 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 I mirror a lot of those sentiments. I, 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 of course, I, I, I love you like one of my brothers. I'm not only super proud of you for, for, for taking a moment to, to document, you know, these, these times and, and, and not even focusing on, on, on the craziness of the times, but focusing on, on the individuals that are, that are going past it and, and, and trying to find a common denominator between you know, all the people that you are interviewing and, and some of your thoughts, I think that you're, 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 you're providing a service to, you know, not only those who are listening to it, but those that will listen to it in the future. And, and it really stands in and of itself as like a, a, a snapshot of, of what not only it's like to, to, to run our business, but a little bit of what life is like now as well. And that's it. I think uh, I'm, I'm incredibly proud to be part of it. I'm thankful to, to not only have, you know, like you said, all the, 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 the downs, but, but, but above all else, the ups, and hopefully there's more ups than downs. So, so we're, we're, we're lucky for sure. And that's it. I think let's, let, let's see where this journey continues. And, and, and there's, there's, there's not much more that you can, you know, wish for in, in, in life and in business that, that to be surrounded by those that, uh, that you admire and, 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 and that you look to as, as your mentors and, and, and that you can really grow with. Beautiful, beautiful words from a beautiful, blonde, blue-eyed Argentine man, Argentine man. And to be continued, my brother, I will speak to you in a moment. I will speak to you tomorrow. And I will speak to you every day until we sell our company a hundred years from today and, and are sipping pina coladas on separate beaches, one in Aventura, Florida, one in Buenos Aires, Argentina. <laughs> one in Pensacola. Yeah. <laughs> to be continued, my friend. Have a good night, bro. All right. Take care. Episode 8 is a wrap. Thank you for chilling with us. This is so much fun. I am so jazzed up and hopped up on goofballs about this episode. I can't believe we did it. I can't believe it finally happened. The kid doesn't like to talk, but we got him to speak. You know what I mean? If you're not already, make sure that you go to your mobile device or laptop right now and follow the podcast on Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Podcast, Spotify. Leave a comment. Leave a review. Let's keep it rolling. But for now... I want everyone to take care of themselves, take care of your loved ones, your friends, your family, make good decisions, and I will see you back, same place, same time, next week. I love you, God bless, peace.